0: Uh, you may be seated. I need to shake your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 1. As you're turning over there, let me say thank you for our visitors today from downtown Baptist all the way in Florida. Uh, I, I just want to call that town Eufaula, but that is not it. Uh, Ocala, thank you. Alright, so they're here with, uh, they've been in, in with uh, Wedstrong and they're coming down. Their, their pastor is Code Blaze. He's the probably the cutest pastor that we have in our system. (laughs) Definitely the better looking one. Uh, So, uh, obviously, appreciate them coming. Make sure you make them feel at home as you always do. So, as you look at your screen, this is something that we're doing. I have a different role now that I am not the pastor of this church. My job is to be a teaching pastor. So, therefore, when I stand in a pulpit now, my job, is to teach you. Uh, It's not to necessarily guide you spiritually anymore. That is Justin's job, and that's why you have a lot of life, practical life application from him. That is not my role anymore. My role is to take the deeper things of God and to uh, expound upon those things so that he can do his job. Now, this is perfect because when I first started pastoring, all the fundies that I was you know, in the fundamental world with. All said, Corey wasn't much of a preacher. All he did was teach. Okay, well, then I guess I'm fulfilling my God-given design here. Which is funny, because a lot of the guys in the living faith group consider me just a little too amped up, all right? So that's how I consider myself in the perfect position, all right? The fundies think I'm just too light in the pulpit, all right? Which is interesting that somebody would ever look at me and go, yeah, you you just don't have a strong enough attitude to be in the pulpit. I'm thinking really? I mean, so, but either way, we're going to deal with dispensational salvation, okay? And, and this is a very deep subject, and here's what I do know. So when I did the last one, and I did it on the rapture, and we went on YouTube like we're going to go again with this one. Understand, I got more feedback off that rapture one than I ever got off any of them. I mean, people just calling me out about how stupid I am for believing in a rapture. I'm like, yeah, I spent an hour proving a rapture. You're going to yell at me for three sentences. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't rock my world. Well, here's the issue. What I'm about to teach is not going to rock most of them's world. it probably rock some of your world and most Baptists. Because what I'm about to lay out, even Baptists cannot stand. So when I said... of the Christians out there do not believe in a rapture. That leaves 6% on my side. What I'm about to teach, 99.7% of Christians everywhere don't believe this. And now that means I'm just going to irritate everybody, which is fine, That's, that's okay. But my goal here is not to give you my opinion or to produce some doctrinal view that's not scriptural. The goal is to break down Scripture and let the Scripture speak for itself, and then you come up with your own thought from it. In other words, don't believe me. Just take what I say today, filter it through the book. If it doesn't line up, then don't accept it. If it does, then you have to accept it. Now, before I even get started on dispensational salvation, let me... Start by saying, so that there is no confusion online or with you, I believe that there is only one way to be saved at this present time. Okay, now I'm clarifying. The only way you're ever going to get saved right now is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and by trusting in Him and Him alone. And I also believe that if you do get saved, you will always be saved. Okay. Now that we've cleared that out, I want you to know that, because what I'm about to show you, you're going to go, he thinks you can get saved five different ways. No, I don't. In the present day in which we live, there is one gospel. That's not true throughout all of Scripture, though. And we're about to prove that, okay? Now, we're going to start before we even get to our verses, and I want you to see what we have on the screen today is our seven dispensations. Now, we are not hyper-dispensational. That's a heresy. It's a false doctrine. But at the end of the day, there are seven basic uh, dispensations, excuse me, I couldn't get the word out, in the Word of God. Now, we can break it down simply innocence, which is the Garden of Eden, that's Adam and Eve before sin, okay? And then we have consciousness, which takes us from the sin to the flood. After the flood, you have human government. Now, what I want you to understand is some of the dispensations will overlap. Like, human government goes from the flood all the way to when Jesus returns, okay? That's first. Then we enter into the promise period. This is Abraham, uh, sometimes it's called the patriarch area, okay? Okay? Then you enter into the law, which is Moses. Now, just a little side note, Moses comes 1500 B.C. You have almost 2600 years of history before Moses shows up. And all that's in the book of Genesis, by the way. That book covers a lot. Then when Moses comes in, he institutes the law, and the law goes into effect until the death of Christ. Right. He is the New Testament, right? And the New Testament doesn't go into effect until the death of the testator. Okay, now, that's important because when you're reading your Gospels, you're reading Old Testament. You're like, wait a minute, they're in my New Testament. They may be in the New Testament format of your Bible, but the actual spiritual economy in which it's working is Old Testament law is in effect. Still in effect. Then if you'll notice we kind of have a a tilted line there where we have the dispensation of grace where you and I are at. And the reason you see that tilted line is because there was a time period in the book of Acts where we were transitioning out of the law into grace. And people go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought all that ended with the death of Christ. The fulfillment of the law did. But let me just ask you something. When when Peter and all them guys went fishing, and they didn't catch nothing, they come up on the shore, and Jesus is there, and he's got some, he's got a grill out, and he's cooking some what, some fish, right? What if he'd have been cooking some bacon? Would they have ate it? No. They had no idea until Acts chapter ten that that was going away. Do you know in Acts chapter 2 they're still meeting in the temple daily? Why are they going to the temple? Well, they're Jews. Yeah, but God done away with all that. They didn't know that at the time. Paul hadn't showed up to write the New Testament uh, uh, epistles. They're living through it. Okay, So you have a transitional period. Then what happens is once there's the rapture, it actually goes back to the law. Okay, that's where a lot of people get confused. During the tribulational period, one of the reasons there has to be that third temple is because they're going to go back to sacrificing. You say, how do you know that? Well, when it talks about the abomination of desolation, it says that when the Antichrist comes into the temple, he's going to make the, the oblations stop. The, the sacrifices. Well, in order for him to make the sacrifices stop, they got to get cranked back up again real deep stuff isn't it right so what happens is we have in here kind of like a parenthesis known as the church age okay or the grace dispensation of grace soon as Christ returns we enter into the seventh dispensation which is the millennial kingdom of god then we end up after a thousand years going out into eternity with Christ that is your seven dispensations now One of the things that most people, especially the Reformed theologists, are going to accuse us of is saying, you believe that people get saved differently. You're right. We do believe they get saved differently. Well, we just believe they get saved by grace all throughout the Bible. So do we. Now, how I best describe this, you heard me, those of you in my Sunday school class last week, you heard me describe this. Coca-Cola. Most of you think it was invented in Atlanta. It wasn't, right here in Villa Rica. That's a true story. I ain't messing with you. Okay. Now, Coca-Cola can be dispensed in multiple forms. Okay, and so you have the fountain drink, you have the uh, the, the aluminum can, you got the glass bottle, which is by far the greatest. If you if you prefer it in something other than a glass bottle, you, you've got to turn in your Southern card. All right. Now. Then you got the plastic butter, the two liter. And as I joke with you, the old Coca-Cola museum used to shoot it across the room into your cup. It's all Coke. It's just dispensed differently. But it's Coke. So when we go back to our dispensations, we do teach that it's grace. That no man is ever going to look at God and go, I got here on my own. No if you ever make it, you'll make it because of God's grace. Now, the question is, how does God dispense His grace to all seven sections of time? That is what a dispensation is. By the way, for my Reformed theologist people, Reformed ain't in the Bible, but the word dispensation is. It is a Bible concept. And by the way, you say, well, you just you just came up with it. You guys, that that didn't even come out until, you know, uh, Larkin and all that. Are you kidding me? And by the way, we don't call ourselves Calvin after some man. We believe in dispensations because it's biblically concept in the Word of God. It's not something we came up with. Now, hang with me. We're going somewhere. All right, now. For those of you that say, I don't believe that God deals with people different at all. Okay, well, let's just start here in Hebrews. and We're going to Galatians, so stay there. (laughs) Hebrews 1.1. God, who at sundry times, that literally means many different times, and in divers manners, the word diver means different, but you say, well, that's kind of an archaic word. Really? You ever heard of the word diversity? It's the same word. right? He says... God in sundry times, or many different times, and in many different ways, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken us by His Son. So right there, He's letting you know there's a difference between our situation and theirs. Hey, back in the day, God chose a lot of ways to speak to people in different manners, different styles, different ways. But in these last days, He chose to send His Son to the earth. So for those that says, I don't believe God deals with people differently. Well, then what are you doing with that verse? Because he clearly tells you that I did deal with them differently. And I'm dealing with you differently than I ever dealt with anybody else. Now, here are eight questions that we want to try to break down, Lord willing. Okay? One, is there only one gospel? Two, did Abraham, David, and Noah get saved the same way I got saved? By the way, could you take your Bible and show me the verse where Abraham, or where Adam got saved? I mean, I got the one where Paul got saved, right? Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9. He's either walking or he's on a horse, but either way, he ends up on his backside and a bright light shines out and Jesus himself spoke to Paul. By the way, did you get saved that way? I didn't. I had a book speak to me, but I didn't hear a voice. I didn't get knocked over. I knelt, which is not even a requirement, by the way. But I'm in an altar kneeling down asking Jesus into my heart. All right? Now, but I got saved differently than Paul did. Well, take me to the verse where David got saved. Have you ever just stopped and wondered about these things? Because we talk about our salvation experience big time. All right? Now, watch. All right? Can someone lose their salvation right now? We'll, we'll discuss that. Did Old Testament people have eternal security? That's never crossed your mind? All right? How about, is salvation the same all throughout the book of Acts? Well, I just showed you where Paul got saved, a little different than the way I got saved. Go on. How does someone get saved in the tribulation? All right, We know that there's going to be all kinds of people saved. There's 144,000 Apostle Pauls going out here preaching something. I wonder what they're preaching. All right? Can they lose their salvation in the tribulation? And number eight, how does someone get saved during the millennial? Now, that's interesting. Because what we've been taught is the millennial reign is just absolute perfect. No. There's still sin on this earth during the millennial reign, and most people don't teach that. There's death. There's all that stuff. Death doesn't leave until the new heaven, new earth. All right. Now, so, if you got your Bibles, let's start with number one. Is there only one gospel? This is where you Reformed theology guys need to tune in. Because they use the word gospel to cover everything. And here's my question. What gospel? Is there only one? Now, for those of you that are losing your mind at the moment, how did I start the sermon? I believe in one way to be saved at this present moment. Now, Hang with me. Now, watch this. All right. So, look at verses six through nine. We have the famous saying of Paul here, and he says, "I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Uh oh. I guess there is only one." Well, hang with me. He says, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, it's, it's important that you... Listen, I don't know how you break down Scripture. I really don't. I truly believe there is not a comma out of place. Which means, why did he have that gospel of Christ thing in there? Just a, just a side note. Now, watch this. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That's a big deal. We take this verse lightly. Do you understand? Hang on, you're going to get mad at me. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, and if you trust that, you're eternally saved. The Catholics, the Methodists, The Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Anglans, you know what they do? They preach that, yes, you trust Christ, but you keep working or you lose it. One of us is cursed. We both can't be right. What do you do with that? Either right now I am preaching a false gospel, or they are, because it's not the same. One of us has to be accursed, from God. That sounds like pretty serious stuff. It sounds like if you get off on this gospel thing, God ain't happy about it. Now hang with me. So he says, listen, let it be a curse. Now drop down to verse 11 and 12. Notice what Paul says, and it's important you get this. He says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which I preached that which was preached of me is not of man. So he says that the gospel which was preached of me is not of man, for neither I received it of man. In other words, listen, Peter, James, John, they didn't teach this gospel to Paul. Paul clearly says, it was revealed to me by Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if that was on the road to Damascus. I don't know if it's when he got up there with Ananias. I don't know when it got down, but I know this. The gospel that Paul preaches was given to him directly from God himself. Now watch, we're going somewhere. Now, Acts 20, 24, Paul calls that the gospel of the grace of God. Same gospel. So it's called the gospel of Christ or the gospel of God. The grace of God. Here's another one, Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto, look at this, the gospel of God. So it's the gospel of the grace of God. It's the gospel of Christ. And it's also the gospel of God. Romans 2, 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Whose gospel? Paul's. Why is it his? Because it was revealed to him. Because he is the the apostle to the Gentiles. And God says, Hey, Paul, i got a special message for you. And I want you to go preach that. It's important that you understand it wasn't Peter that came up with it. Sorry, Catholics. Your first pope didn't come with the first gospel. It was Paul. All right? And the bottom line is, he calls it my gospel. You get over here in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, For though I... For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Now this word dispensation of the gospel, he's not using this word in a reference of time, but in what I was explaining about Coke. He's saying the gospel was dispensed unto me and I am to dispense it upon you. And if I choose not to preach the gospel, woe unto me because it was given to me to give to you. By the way, it was given to you to give to them. All right. Now he goes on and he says once again he calls it the gospel of Christ. Now let's go back to our verse. So, he uh, excuse me, one more. Now, let's get into the definition of this gospel. All right? So, we're talking about the gospel itself of the stuff you and I know, right? Now, what the word gospel, do you know what it means? It means good news or good tidings. That's what it means. It's the good news. That's important that you get that. All right? Now, I want you to notice here that the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, Paul says it's my gospel. He gives you the definition of it right here. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which is also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture and how he was buried, and how he rose again the third day. Now, you, get, you agree with me that the gospel that Paul has, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, Paul's gospel is defined by the death, burial, and resurrection. Agreed? Okay, right? That's important. I'm not just taking some time here. I'm trying to get you somewhere. And if you can't grab a hold of that, This is going to get very confusing. So what is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how you and I got saved. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, the only hope you have of making it to eternity with Christ is to trust the death, burial, and resurrection. All right, let's go back to the verse in the Scripture. Now, Paul clearly says, if I... Or anyone else, or even an angel, preach another gospel, let him be accursed. Right? Now, watch this. Now, take take a look at Revelation fourteen six. We're at the end of the tribulation. The hundred forty four thousand have already preached. Now, watch this. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Well, I, I just need to stop there. Now, I know, I know, Paul had multiple names for his gospel, gospel of grace, gospel of God, gospel of Christ, and my gospel. But he didn't mention anything about an everlasting gospel, right? He said, this angel who's coming in, having the everlasting gospel, now the angel's going to preach it, and he says, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, now he's going to give you the definition of the everlasting gospel. Here's what he says. Fear God. Give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment is come. Well, let me ask you. Is the hour of His judgment come right now? No. We're not under the judgment of God at this moment. He's talking about the wrath of God hitting this planet for seven years. All right? Now hang with me. He says, and worship Him that made heaven, earth, and sea, and fountains of water wait a minute. Is that the gospel you got saved by? I just told you. Paul's gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. Do you see any of that being mentioned? Could we go out here on the streets like old school street preachers and preach this gospel, the everlasting gospel, and see people saved? Is that how they get saved? Do you get saved by fearing God? No. A lot of people fear God. I had a fear of God as a lost man. Most people who have some type of conscience do. People who do believe in a creator. We know, hey, I'm a sinner. All right? So, having a fear of God doesn't save you. Giving glory to Him doesn't save you. You understand, you can come in here and worship all day long. People do it every day. Lost as a goose, glorifying God. Now watch this. For the hour of judgment has come. We've already determined that's not true. If you went out there and preached that, would you be lying? Yes. So how can you tell me that this everlasting gospel is the same as the gospel of grace? And if you're telling me they're not, then you have to admit there's at least two gospels. Because this one right here and the one we've, preach is not the same thing now here's what I don't understand we have a contradiction here because God through the inspiration of Paul it's God's word in Galatians not Paul it's God saying if somebody preaches another gospel let them be accursed." even if it's an angel why isn't God cursing this guy see the problem is when you have contradictions in your Bible and which there's a lot of them if you want to there be it's always having it where it's not supposed to be. You're trying to apply a scripture that doesn't apply for that time frame or that people group. Every time. That's why we we are Pauline epistle guys. We get our doctrine from what Paul wrote from Romans to Philemon. That's where we get our doctrine, and that's what we teach. Now we teach the whole Bible but as far as the doctrines that we stand on, we get them from Paul. He is the one with the gospel of grace that we got saved by. Now watch this. all right? So number one, we know that there's at least one gospel, Paul's gospel, which is the gospel of God, gospel of grace, gospel of Christ. All right. Now look at Matthew 4, 17. Check this out. From that time, Jesus began to preach. So Jesus comes on the scene, right? He's been baptized. He's heading out. He's doing his public ministry. And he says, he began to preach. And here's what he preached Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, can I preach that? Can I stand out there at Walmart and scream that? No, the kingdom of heaven isn't at hand. Now, I don't have time to take you, and by the way, this. This whole sermon I'm giving you is just an overview. This is literally six, seven, eight weeks to break down each one of these. But I'm telling you, the kingdom of heaven isn't at hand. It was at hand when he showed up. It will be at hand again during the tribulation. I Watch this. And Jesus went about all oh, of Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Hmm, I've, I've heard people say that a lot. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Really? So you're just standing up saying repent for the kingdom of heaven? Is that hand." I'm preaching the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's gospel. The one that was revealed to him, not Peter, James, and John. It's the, it's the gospel that's the death, burial, and resurrection. It's not the same gospel. He said this is the gospel of the kingdom. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. We're going to talk about 144,000 apostles Paul's preaching this gospel. Now, check this out. So we have the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Now, look at Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, we have a difference here. Same story. And this is where all the intellects get all messed up. Watch this. He says, now after this, that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this is where all your intellects say, oh, no, no, Corey. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven's the same thing. Really? Because if you just let the Bible define each one, here's what it says. The kingdom of God is not over here or over here. It doesn't come with observation. You can't see it. He says it's inside you. And then he goes on to say it's not a physical thing. He says it's joy, peace, and righteousness in you. But when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, He describes it by saying it's a place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to sit down together. So if they're the same thing, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sitting down in my heart right now? Because the kingdom of God is inside me right now. It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom where he sits on the throne over there. You say, well, how is he preaching both of them? Because they both kingdoms were present. He was offering a spiritual kingdom, and he was offering a physical kingdom. The intent, even all the way back to the garden, is that the kingdoms were together. And what happened was, Adam died, and the spiritual kingdom left this planet. He died spiritually. But the kingdom of heaven stayed around for a little while, and then it eventually left with Coniah. Right? And then all of a sudden, they both came back with Jesus. So when here he is, he says, listen, the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the gospel. Now, I just showed you the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of God, or the gospel of the kingdom of God. Where in either one of these things did Jesus preach about the death, burial, and resurrection? He doesn't even mention it. You know, one of the requirements to be saved is to believe in the resurrection in this present moment. Do you know that the guys that he hung out with for three and a half years still didn't understand the resurrection until it actually happened? Do you honestly think three years before that goes down, he's walking around going, trust in the death barrel of the resurrection? Huh? What do you mean? That's what they'd be doing. I don't even know what you're talking about, Jesus. Yeah, I'm gonna be dying, I'm gonna be buried, I'm gonna be raised again. You gotta trust in that. It's not what he's saying. All right. So now we got Paul's gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of God. But here, let's we've already looked at this one, and I won't break it down again, which is the everlasting gospel. And once again, does he mention anything about the death, burial, and resurrection? So we obviously have a fourth gospel. Of the everlasting gospel now Galatians 3 5 and 7 I want you to I want you to see this one we got Abraham here right and it says and he and he therefore that ministers to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith even as Abraham believed God and it was counted on to him for righteousness Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was counted on to him for righteousness, right? He believed God for what? Well, he done it three different times. He steps out, went out of nowhere in Ur of Chaldees and God says, uh, get out of the land and follow me. What'd he do? Got out of the land and followed him. Number two, He took his son up on a mountain was about to take him out. Why? Because God told him to. He trusted God. But number three, and this is the key, is he trusted God for the promise of making him a great nation. All three of those things were done in his life. Do you understand? Yes, he had faith. But with all of them, there was a work that followed. That's important because I'm going to end up in James in just a second. Now check this out. Here he is. There's a work involved. But I want you to notice the real part of this. And the Scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Hold up. Who is the first one to write Scripture? What's his name? Moses, right? Okay. Now, we could have a debate about the book of Job, but we know for sure that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. Now, you don't have to be a theologian. You just got to listen up in Sunday school a little bit to figure out Moses doesn't come for years later after Abraham. So Moses wrote the Scriptures, but yet the Bible says, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen preached before the Gospel unto Abraham. You got some problems with this verse. What Scripture? Just a little side note, we're not going to go there, but if you start listening to the gospel and the stars, you'll start to see what's actually going down here. But check this out. There was no written scripture. But that scripture preached, what did the scripture preach? The gospel unto Abraham? Oh, you mean the death, burial, and resurrection? No, no, no. What does gospel mean? Good news. What's the good news? Good news. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Oh, I believe you, God. You're saying that's what saved him? Yeah. Believing God. You say, wait a minute. I thought it was grace through faith. And, and, and it saved me. That's you and me, homeboy. Not him. It says for the Scriptures. What Scriptures? Preach the Gospel. What Gospel? And it says, in these shall all nations be blessed. That was the good news. And you're going, I don't get it. It's not that tough, guys. The good news is whatever God's good news is for that person. In this day and age, we have one good news. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You think Noah had the same good news? Never even heard of Jesus. All right, now watch this. So we have Abraham's gospel. Now this next one is going to get you a little tricky. So we're going to end up here in Hebrews chapter 3, and he says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the days of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works for 40 years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation that said, They do not always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. What he's talking about is Numbers chapter 14 when the spies went into the land. The spies come out and they they didn't believe God. What was God telling them? You can take the land. I'm with you. And they're like, I don't trust you, God. And they didn't go in. It was unbelief. That is chapter 3. I'm setting it here. So we're talking about Kadesh Barnea. Hang with me. Right here. Even though the chapter changed, the context didn't. Watch. He said, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into rest. Any of you should seem to cut come short of it. Now here's the verse. For unto us was the gospel preached as well unto them. Who's the them? The Cades Barnea. The fathers in the wilderness. Well, the gospel was preached on us. The good news was preached on to us and the good news was preached unto them. You're telling me you can go back to Numbers 14 and find where somebody's preaching death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's not in the Scripture. What is the good news? The good news is, I've given you the land. Here's what he says. He said, we preached the good news to them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. All Gospels are worthless without the faith being mixed with it. Now hang with me. The last Gospel is going to get tricky. So that's called the Gospel of Kadesh Barnea. You didn't even know there was a Gospel in the Old Testament like that, did you? It's clearly there. Now watch. Watch this. So Romans 10, 15, Paul's coming around. We've got the whole Romans Road thing going on, so we've got to be talking about us, right? Hang with me. Watch what God does with his book. He says, And how shall they preach, except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Well, that's a new word. And bring glad tidings. What is glad tidings? Good news. right? Of good things. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. What gospel? The gospel of peace. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Now, what Paul's doing is quoting Isaiah. So we can go back to Isaiah 52 and grab the quote. Now watch what God does with his book. If you can find a book better than the one that's sitting on my podium, I want to see it. The watch. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, good news, gospel, that publish peace, that bring good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that saith unto Zion, God reigneth. Now wait a minute, Paul, you left out some words. Now why would Paul pull out a verse in the Old Testament and only quote part of it? Because only part of it's been fulfilled. Now he says, thy God reigneth. Does God reign right now? No. Who is the God of this world? Satan. Now, don't don't get shattered. (laughs) Nothing happens without God. And God's in control at all times, but He's allowing Satan to have His moment. But there's coming a day where He is coming back, physically going to sit on a throne, and He is going to rule and reign on this earth with a rod of iron. Now, bottom line is, that's verse 7. Look at verse 9. Break forth into joy, and sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people. Is that the case right now? You've been to Israel? There's no peace over there. Is there any comfort to sing about? No. But watch this. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. Has he? Not yet. He said, what is he talking about? This gospel is a specific gospel known as the gospel of peace or the millennial gospel. And Paul's only quoting part of it. You say, why is he only quoting part of it? Because the part about salvation has been applied to us. But the part about ruling in Jerusalem hasn't happened yet. But for 1,000 years, Jesus Christ will rule on this earth and the gospel of peace will be preached everywhere. That's Shalom. That's the whole Prince of Peace when he comes. So how many Gospels do we have? Seven. By the way, that shouldn't be a shock if you understand your Bible. Now, next. Did Abraham, David, Noah get saved the same way you did? You ever thought about that? Let me give you a little brain teaser. Adam, how did he get saved? So Adam's brought in and he's in a state of innocence. So it's called a dispensation of innocence. So God is going to dispense his grace to this time period of innocence. How does he do it? Adam, hey, you and your wife, eat of any tree you want in here except that one over there. That one will cause death. But if you eat of that tree over there, it will bring you eternal life. So how was he to get eternal life by eating of the tree. By the way, just a side note, he actually had to do something to get eternal life. Did you? No. So let me ask you a little brain teaser. Had he not ate of the bad tree, but if he had never ate of the good tree, what happens to him? How much of the Bible have you not thought of yet? That's why you'll never stop this book. Have you even thought of that question? What happens if he doesn't eat of it? Of neither one of them? Because God says, I'm going to dispense my grace to you. I'm going to give you eternal life, but you're going to be required to do something. Well, what am I required to do? Don't eat that one and eat this one. That was his deal. How about Noah? Noah is the first person in all the Bible where it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? But in order for Noah to be saved, what do he have to do? He had to build an ark. That's called works. He found grace, but what if he doesn't build the boat? He dies. Abraham, get out of that country. No, I believe I'll stay here. What happens? He dies. If you're seeing a pattern here, there's always a work connection back then. You say, well, not under the law. Hold up, big man. The law doesn't show up until Moses. I haven't mentioned a guy yet under the law. Then, when one day in the life of Abraham, Adam, Noah, where they had to meet on a certain day of the week and honor that week. They weren't required to do that day. They did it that was not a law that was set forth. They didn't have to do a lot of things that are in the law. Those things were applied when Moses came on board. You say, did, did, did Abraham ever eat pork? I don't have a clue. He may have, he may not have. Had he ate pork, it wouldn't have been a sin. You know why? There wasn't a law yet. Okay, and what I'm trying to show you is these guys didn't get saved the same way you and I do. Do you know, and this is where the Reformed theology guys get all jacked up, they believe in total depravity. And what they teach is you were so depraved, you couldn't even choose God. So therefore God had to save you, and make you born again so you could choose him. They got a backward, backward salvation. Well, you know, I can see how you can fool people in the New Testament on that, but how do you make that apply in the Old Testament? And here's why not one individual in the Old Testament ever experienced the new birth, they never experienced the indwelling and sealing of the Holy Spirit, not one of them. David is a great man. Abraham is a great man. Noah is a great man. And not one of them got the privilege that you get, which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what do you do about that? How'd they get saved with their total depravity? All right? Now, can someone lose their salvation right now? Now, watch this. Pay attention. All right? So we got Methodists, Catholics, Church of God, Episcopals, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh day Adventists, Charismatic Anglicans. You know what they all teach? that you can lose your salvation. Us and the Presbyterians are generally the only ones that believe in eternal security. You say, okay, what's your point? Are they all nuts? I'm I'm, I'm being nice about that. Do you think they're just pulling that out of a hat? Or do you think they may have some verses to back it up with? They do. I can show you all kinds of verses that show you can lose your salvation. Well, wait a minute, Corey. You said you believe in eternal security. I do. Well, I thought you were a Bible believer. I am. Now you're confusing me. All those verses that they can take you to to show you that they can you can lose your salvation, they are correct. They are verses being misapplied to the wrong people in the wrong time frame. Those of us in the grace dispensation, when given eternal life, it is eternal life. Let me tell you this. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Wouldn't take a lot of thought. Now watch this. Hebrews 4, 6, 4, and 9. Uh, Excuse me. Hebrews 6 4 through 6 for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost now that describes salvation right we've tasted of the Holy Ghost that's how you, that's what salvation is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now watch this and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they fall, shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh. He just let you know that if you once got saved and you turned your back away from it and you lost it, according to that verse, you could never get it again. You say, well, oh, what happens if I lose it? Who is the book written to? Hebrews. Are you a Hebrew? No, I'm a Gentile. But a book written to Hebrews, not to a church. If Paul wrote that to Thessalonians, we'd be in trouble. He didn't. That was written to the Hebrews. And during the tribulation, when somebody tastes of the good things of God and the word of God that they hear from the 144,000, and they end up down there in Petra, safe from the Antichrist, If they turn their back on that and go back out, get that mark, they're done. They've lost their salvation. But it doesn't apply to me. Remember when we were talking about Abraham? Abraham's faith had works connected to it. He didn't get saved like you and I did. James comes around and he says, Hey man, he said, even so, Even so, faith that hath not works is dead being alone. And I'm teaching you that right now I can leave this pulpit, never walk into another church, never pick up another Bible, and I'm still going to heaven. I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. But he says, hold up. If you have a faith that doesn't have works attached to it, it's dead. Okay, well, let's, let's see what he says here. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and and I say, Works, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee thy faith by my works. He goes on down again. He says, Faith without works is dead. He closes out the verses and says, Ye see that how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. What are you doing with all that? You know, us Baptists, we get real creative on how to, well, what that really means is, No, it means exactly what it says. That if your faith isn't tied with works, your faith is dead. And he goes, he says, Well, you know, your faith may be dead, but notice here. He says, Listen, see then how that work, by works, a man is justified? Were you justified by works? Was works involved at all? No. There was nothing attached to your salvation except belief in the work. He already did. But the book of James is written to a specific group of people. The first verse says, James, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Which are the twelve tribes? You're not part of the tribes. That book is written to Jews. And if you're a Jew in the tribulation, and for the first time in your life, you're going to pick up a New Testament, the first book you would probably read would probably be Matthew. Just a little shot. I mean, I'm thinking. Do you know who Matthew's written to? To the Jews. Do you know what Jesus is preaching? Which gospel he's preaching to Matthew? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so you, if you're reading that, you're going, whoa, that's what them 144,000 dudes are saying. So you get down with the book of, of, of Matthew and you're like, where do I go? Oh what? Here's a book that's written to Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew. Let me read the book of Hebrews. Oh man, if I taste the good things and I turn away, I've lost it. Well, let me keep reading. What's the next book after Hebrews? James. Written to the 12 tribes. And what's going to be going down then? Scattered abroad. Now all of a sudden I'm reading over here, if I don't have works to go with my faith, it's dead. Huh. Now watch. Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Matthew is written to who? The Jew. Who's going to have eternal life? We do. They're not guaranteed it. Now, the Old Testament, okay? So can we lose our salvation? No. Can they during the tribulation? Yes. Now, Quickly, the Old Testament people did they have eternal salvation? Quick answer: No. Okay, they, uh, the book of Hebrews says it this way: that every year they had to come in and offer an animal. What if they chose not to one year? What if they said, "I ain't doing it. I did it last year. I'm going to be." They, they got a Delorean and figured out what a Baptist is. Yeah, I was good. I went to I went to church last Christmas. All right? If they did that they wouldn't have salvation. You see, they weren't saved by keeping the law. No, they're saved by grace with works attached to it that if they ever stopped, they were done. They couldn't just go, well, I did that as a kid. I'm good to go. And I don't have time to take you through all the verses, but here they are. Hebrews 10, 1-4. All right, Number five, is salvation the same through the book of Acts? Now watch this. Now, I want you to notice the seven here, and the dispensation here is kind of tilted at an angle because that tilt of the angle is the the transitional period through the book of Acts. We're almost done. Just hang with me. All right? Now, we got the first sermon ever preached. We got the day of Pentecost going down. Now check this out. He says, verse 5, who is he preaching to? I've highlighted it for you. Jews. Verse 14, ye men of Judea. All right? Verse 22, Ye men of Israel. Verse 36, house of Israel. Who is the audience? Jewish people, right? Israel. That's why you gotta be very careful going in here to the first part of the book of Acts and applying it to the church. Church wasn't even there yet. Watch this. Verse 36. We'll just click over one. Now, this is verse 36. Now Peter's preaching to the Jewish people. And he basically, here's what he says in verse 36. Therefore, let the, all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Savior. So what he did for a whole sermon is to go, hey guys, you know that Messiah you've been waiting for your whole life? Yeah. You know, all of Israel's been waiting for it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, he came. His name was Jesus, and you killed him. Now, if you're a Jew sitting there, and you're going, wait a minute. I've been waiting my whole life for the Messiah. And you're telling me He finally came and we killed Him? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said unto the to the rest of the... Men, brethren, what shall we do? They're asking the question, we killed our Messiah we've been waiting on? Now what do we do? That's literally what they're saying. He looks at them in verse 38 and He says, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin. Now, how many of you had to be saved by getting baptized? Not me. I got saved, and then I got baptized to show the world what happened to me. I didn't need to be baptized for the remission of sin. This is where your Church of Christ boys come in. Now, now, hang with me. The Baptists have a time with this thing. Well, the word for there, and they give you some Greek garbage. No, it clearly says what it says. In order to be saved, you got to be baptized for the remission of sin, and then you shall receive the Holy Ghost. When did you receive the Holy Ghost? I got it the day I accepted Christ as my Savior. I didn't get baptized for almost two months later. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit immediately, and I didn't speak in some goofball language. What I did was have a peace in my life that had never been there before. All right, Second sermon. Now watch. Second sermon. Ye men of Israel. So who are we talking to? He goes on, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Whose father? The nation of Israel. So who's the audience? Israel. He says, He's got the same basic sermon. He's like me; just keeps preaching the same thing over and over again. And he's like, "Guys, you know the Messiah? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, okay, you killed him." And he says, "But ye denied the Holy One, the Just, the Murderer, uh, the desire to murder us to be granted unto you." So this is verses twelve through fifteen. Hang with me. Same chapter. We get to verse nineteen. What are we supposed to do? Here's what he says: Repent. Ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. When did your sins get blotted out? Mine was immediately that night. I accepted Christ and the blood of Jesus washed all my sin away and from November 1st, 1994 to this day I've been sinless in the sight of God. But that clearly says yours will the blotting come when the times of refreshing shall come at the presence of the Lord. He's talking to the nation of Israel folks. And I don't have time to take you through this. Here's what goes down. Acts chapter 7. Stephen's preaching. It's the third sermon to the nation of Israel. It's God's third time to the nation of Israel to say, hey, will you accept my son as your Messiah? You know what Jesus is doing? Why Stephen's being stoned? Standing up. Why is he standing up? He's not standing up going, good job, Stephen. No, he's standing up because he's saying, Israel, if you will accept me, I'll come back right now. And their blotting out would have been right then. And the tribulation would have started immediately in the book of Acts. Now that is a whole other topic that will blow your mind if you can take some time to go through it. Now, verse eight, chapter 8 comes along because Israel finally said, that's it. God says, fine, I'm done. I'm not messing with Israel a more. I'm going into Acts chapter 8. What do I have? Samaritans, what are they? Half Jew, half Gentile. And do you know what Philip preaches to them? It's the first time it's been preached. The kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven was presented in the first three sermons. But now we got Philip offering up to the Samaritans, half Jew, half Greek, and he's saying, listen, the kingdom of God's at hand. What happens in Acts 9? Paul gets converted. What happens in Acts 10? Cornelius, the first full-blown Gentile. Do you know what happens to him? He receives the Holy Spirit immediately at salvation. Up until this point, when the Jews got saved, they had to lay the hands on them to receive it. But it's now been converted. So do you get saved at the end of Acts the same way you do at the beginning? No. Because what God was doing was giving the nation of Israel an opportunity. And what he was saying is, if you'll receive me, we won't go into this church-age thing. We'll start right here in Israel and we'll have the tribulation in Israel, you'll go reach the world. Israel said, we're not interested. God says, fine. I'm going to get this church thing started. And he put that parentheses together and we have a church aid. Now let me quickly go through. All right, how does somebody get saved during the tribulation? Now, th- remember, during this time, the law goes back into effect. We're back in the dispensation. Of the law, what is that? The kingdom of heaven is going to be at hand. There is going to be a hundred and forty-four thousand virgin Jewish men going around preaching to all the world. Revelation seven clearly lets you know not only the Jewish people but nations and tongues everywhere. How are these people going to be saved? They're going to be saved by trusting in the kingdom gospel. You said, where do you get all that from? All right, now watch. Remember Acts or uh, Matthew four seventeen, but watch. Matthew 24, 14. He's talking to the, the Jewish nation. Here's what he says. He says, this gospel of the kingdom. That's not the gospel you got saved by. That's a whole different gospel. That's the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. That's the 144,000 that will be preaching the same thing that Jesus was preaching. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven. All right, so the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. Then shall the end come. And every Baptist runs around here with that verse going, well, we just got to get out there and reach them. Because once we reach them, if we'll just get to the last one that's ever going to be saved, then Jesus can come back. Where did you get that? By the way, that's borderline Calvinism too. Listen, our job is to get out there and get going until the rapture happens. Whenever that is. And there is nothing stopping that. God ain't going, man, I wish you guys would hurry up. i got a couple guys I wanted to say, but you won't do nothing about it. There's only four more. It's almost like one of those games where you find in the last puzzle piece, wonder where those last four people are. Maybe they're in Kenya. Let's go there. That is not what this verse is applying to. He's talking about during the tribulation and the 144,000 reaching them. All right, now, can they lose their salvation in the tribulation? The quick answer: Yes. All right. That's why he says you got to endure to the end to be saved. I'm not enduring anything. The Christian life with the gospel of Paul isn't about enduring. It's about rejoicing and celebrating the fact we're always going to be saved. All right, and I'm closing right here. How does someone get saved during the millennial? Now I already showed you that. It's called the gospel of peace that's going to be preached. But when you got saved, Acts uh, or Ephesians two eight says, "For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith was the agent." Correct. Now watch, what is faith? It's the evidence of things not seen. Now this gets a little tricky. During the millennial reign, when you and I, the bride of Christ, are ruling and reigning with Him, the gospel of peace is going to be presented to the world. How are they going to get saved? There will be no faith. You understand you will not have faith in Jesus when you get there. Your faith will be gone. I'm going to lose faith in Jesus? No! You're going to be staring at Him. You won't need evidence of things not seen. Bottom line is, these guys will be getting saved in a different way than it's ever been saved. You know what, they're, what the cave denominator is? It's not just faith. It's believing. And you're believing in what you're seeing, and you're believing in what you're hearing, coming out of the mouth of the Word of God, sitting on a throne in Jerusalem for 1,000 years. That's how they'll get saved. Now, I'm closing right here bottom line is, I presented that to you to let you know that we are in a unique group. We're called the Bride of Christ. There is nobody more blessed than who we are. I'm not saying that as a bragging moment. It's by the grace of God I was born when I was and where I was. And by the grace of God, the Spirit of God found me, arrested my soul, and showed me I was lost and that I needed Jesus Christ to be my Savior. But once I knelt down and accepted Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moved inside of me and sealed me, and I am as good as if I was already there. And if you're here, and you have never had a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection and trusted in what He did and nothing that you could ever do, let me tell you, there's an opportunity for you to do that today. Trusting Him and ask it, listen, it'll be the greatest thing that ever happens to you. It will change not just your life, it will change your eternity. You can walk into this building on your way to hell and walk out of here on your way to heaven. And the only way that works is by just kneeling and asking Christ into your heart. And you can do that from where you're sitting, or you can come up here, you can come talk to me or one of the other preachers. But man, I just want you, as the band comes, I want you to look down into the recesses of your soul and ask yourself, have I ever truly trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, this is an opportunity for you to come to know Him in a way that would just be mind-blowing to you. A peace that will come across you like you've never experienced in your life. And have God dwell inside you. Let's stand to our feet. Father, I love you. I pray there be any today that doesn't know you and the free pardon of sin. God, let them know what it's like to feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit of God coming to them to, to show them their need of a Savior. And God, let them know there is a free gift. The blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all our sin and makes us new and whole and pure before You. God, I want to thank You for my salvation that Jesus found me where I was at, came to me through the Spirit of God showed me my need and gave me the opportunity to ask You into my life. God, help whoever that may be today. Father, we love You and thank You for all that You've done. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.